if you are more focused and more concerned about how others see you rather than how God sees you, you just do things that always tend to make yourself look good. So you're putting an image up for others to see. They're not seeing the real you because the real you has junk in there that's ugly and nasty and you want them to only see you in the most positive way. Hey friends, this week we're continuing to explore how pride and our self-lives are at the root of sexual sin. Do you ever find yourself bragging to others about your spiritual life? Perhaps you've told others about how you gave financially, how God used you to help someone, or how you spent extra time in your devotions. These symptoms can often point to a dangerous sickness to our spiritual lives called spiritual pride. Pastor Steve Gallagher is joining us today to help us understand this deceptive piety. We also talk about our last daughter of pride, and we'll see how easy it is for other sins to creep in with spiritual pride. Thanks for joining us in part six of our series, Exposing the Root of All Sin. Pastor Steve writes in his book, I, the Root of Sin Exposed, that anyone with a holier-than-thou mentality is in the opposite mindset of those Jesus described as being poor in spirit. Spiritual pride causes people to think they're more spiritually mature than nearly everyone around them. They often look down on others, maybe even despising them. Such people are dangerously close to the spirit of the Pharisees, of whom Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Spiritual pride causes us to put up a show to others, promoting ourselves and our goodness instead of the righteousness and mercy of God. As we dive into this topic, I pray that God may show us if this sin lies buried in our own hearts so that we may repent and learn to live in true humility. In this interview, we're going to talk about the last form of pride that you identified, which is spiritual pride. And I was thinking about Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount, where he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. In other words, the very essence of Christianity is humility. So how is it even possible for spiritual pride to form in a person? Those seem like that they're directly opposed to one another. Um, Do you think that a person is walking well and then somehow wander off the narrow way or that someone who's spiritually proud never really had a sincere walk with the Lord to begin with? Oh, I could see it in both camps, for sure. You know, there are a lot of religious-minded people in the church, people who have been raised in the church and uh, really never came into a real walk with the Lord. They've just done what they've seen, you know, Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. grown up with, and, and that's what they do. And so they are the type of people that focus on religious things. But there are sincere people, and um, I'll just use my own story. 
when I first came to the Lord, I was passionate and everything, you know, and so I was doing some outward things that I could point to. And because, let me put it this way, I was passionate. I had a lot of um, energy for the things of God, a desire to serve Him and please Him. Mm -hmm. But I was very immature as a believer. Mm -hmm. I just hadn't gone very far. So when I started doing some things that would be commendable, let's say, like, for instance, a two-hour time with the Lord every morning, which I started 36 years ago, um, doing things like that, not watching television, that kind of stuff where you can point at it. Right. Uh, and then I would see Christians who didn't spend that kind of time with God, who did watch television stuff. I started becoming spiritually proud, you know. Okay. And so you can see how that could develop in the life of someone. And it took a lot of humblings by the Lord to just basically beat that out of me, Mm. you know, and I needed that to be beaten out of me because, uh, yeah, I just wasn't like the Lord to be that way. Um, So, yeah, I could see it in both camps. In this chapter on spiritual pride, you talked about a group of men called the Pharisees. These were ultra-religious men in the time of Jesus, and they were his most outspoken critics, and eventually they orchestrated his crucifixion. Can you tell us a little bit about this group and also why you felt that if we could understand them, we could understand the nature of spiritual pride? After the Maccabean Wars, the Jewish people had for a time self-autonomy, mm. and the Hasmonean kingdom got established. And it was a pretty carnal kingdom. They were Jewish people, but mm. um, just not really serving the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so a group of religious-minded men formed during that time, and they became known as the separatist. That's what the word Pharisee means, Hmm. separatist. So they were separated from the worldly influences of the Greek culture, which the Hasmonean uh, dynasty welcomed in um, Palestine, Israel. So over time, this was, you know, over the next 167 years, whatever it was, that group grew and became stronger. And over time, they just kind of like my own life where you, you're headed in the right direction, sort of, but you're looking at, man, look at how spiritual I am. Mm-hmm. Look at how I separate myself from this Greek culture and all these people don't. So that kind of pride started forming. And over time, it all started becoming built around pride, different, mm. different forms of religious pride. Mm-hmm. And it, it became a, a thing of how people saw you and the reality of your life with God was something that was being uh, minimized and diminished in its importance. Can you explain how you see that working out in our modern church culture? Yeah, it's the same dynamic. I mean, if you are more focused and more concerned about how others see you rather than how God sees you, hmm. where that becomes the all-important thing, 
is um, the way that people view you, how they think of you, and all that sort of thing, then what happens is you just kind of subconsciously do things that always tend to make yourself look good. So you're putting an image up for others to see. They're seeing that image. They're not seeing the real you because the real you has junk in there that's ugly and nasty and and you don't want people to know all about that. You want them to only see you in the most positive way. And really, when you look in the church, who are the the people in the church who are most highly respected and praised? Is it the the humble? Is it the Christ-like who are giving their life away, not looking for any attention or any Mm -hmm. accolades or anything? Or is it the pastor with the biggest church in town? Is it the person who wrote the book that sold, you know, hundreds of thousands of copies? You see what I mean? So it's what you do in the American church is what brings uh, respect to you, not the reality of your godlike character. The second mark of spiritual pride that you identified was emphasizing the secondary points of law. Can you explain what you meant by that, but then also maybe give some examples to help shine some light on how that works out for us? Yeah, well, that's what Jesus said. One one of the things Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 when he just kind of dressed them down Mm -hmm. and exposed them for what they really were. He said, you tithe mint and cumin, you know, in other words, tiny little spices, they're all intricate. You you do that, but you neglect the weightier issues of the law, Mm. which is mercy and justice and righteousness. You know, again, focused on things that make you look good outwardly, but not looking and dealing with the issues of the heart. So the way that plays out today is religious-minded people get all into doctrinal differences, as an example. You know, so, of course, doctrine is important. The main tenets of the faith are absolutely important. We must believe that Jesus is God incarnate, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. that he was born of a virgin, that he's going to return one day. And those are the tenets of the faith that are absolute musts. But there are other issues in the church that are controversial. Controversial in the sense that there are many sincere believers who think this way about a subject, and there are many who think a different way. Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to live in peace and not have one side rising up in pride and putting down the others in subtle ways and so on. And that's what, it's just really unfortunate, all the splintering and and so on in the church, people divided over opinions. I said something in the book to the effect that a prideful person will have an opinion about some doctrinal issue or whatever, but it's fortified by pride. Whereas another person, a sincere believer, let's say, has a conviction about... um, something that is fortified by faith. Mm. And there's a huge difference between the two. You know, uh, pride versus faith are completely different, completely opposite, really, Mm. because one is built in self-trust 
and the other is built in trusting God. Hmm. I've heard you say this before, which is that some of the people who are the most vehemently outspoken about rules and regulations and the tiniest little points of behavior within Christianity often are covering up some of the most wicked, debased behavior. Why does that happen? Yeah, the very kind of Christian Pharisee, let's say, let's call him that, who is all focused on the minutia of things that we are supposed to do and so on, um, you know, that is fueled by the self-life. That, per- that person's particular type of self-issues. You know, we all have different self-lives. Uh, and, you know, for me, it's one thing. For you, it's something else. You know, and every human is a little bit different in one way or the other. And so the things that some people thrive on, other people could care less about. Yeah. So this particular religious-minded person thrives on this kind of minutia that makes them feel good about themselves. So that person, because his life is driven by self and the power and strength of self to keep all these little rules and so on, creates the perfect environment for something like sexual sin or whatever to thrive in secret hmm. because it's it's also focused on self. And the more self has power within a person and thrives, the more that sin can thrive. When we look at the life of Jesus, his compassion is so evident. His willingness to associate with the outcast, to heal the broken. But then when you look at his interactions with the Pharisees, at first glance, it seems like his words are harsh, bitter, maybe even condemning. And I'm wondering why were Jesus's words so passionate against those men? Well, keep in mind that the only way we have his words are on the printed page. So we don't know the tone Mm. that he spoke in. Mm. I mean, he was love incarnate. Yeah. I can't imagine him saying anything better, mm. you know. Mm. So um, he spoke the truth, but it was all coming from a, a person full, literally full of the love of God. Mm. But he does say some strong things to them and doesn't upbraid sinners in the same way. Yeah. I think that a couple of different things. For one thing, they didn't see their need and sinners did. At least many of them did. They understood they were sinners. They understood that they were sitting under the displeasure of God. They got that, whereas the Pharisees thought that he was right up there with God. Mm -hmm. So um, Jesus was looking to overthrow that system, to do it in humility and to do it quietly, But he was looking to see that horrible religious system overthrown and something new to be birthed up, something fresh and of the Spirit of God to grow up in its midst and eventually take over. This religious system I'm talking about was keeping people from entering into the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Jesus said that. Mm -hmm. And that was something that was very upsetting to him. I mean, if you were a doctor, let's say, and you had a hospital, 
and there was some the administrator of the hospital was purposely setting things up where people could not get the medicine they needed you would be pretty upset because your whole life is all about bringing health to sick people and yet you have this person in control that is ever stymieing every mm, effort mm. for you to bring what they need you can see where yeah. someone like that whose whole life is built on compassion and the care of people's bodies, right. how upsetting that would be. And so I think it's something like that with Jesus, where these people were keeping people out of the kingdom of God through their uh, religious system that was built on their whole pride thing. You know, So I think that had a lot to do with um, the passion you sense in some of the things Jesus said to them. I know from personal experience that to have to see spiritual pride and repent from spiritual pride is really, really painful. But there is, <laughs> there's no comparison between the bondage of self-righteousness and spiritual pride and the liberty of the Spirit's life. So if someone is hearing this and, and seeing that there are elements of this sin, this pride in their life, and they're acutely feeling the bondage, what would you begin to tell them about how to journey out of that? Yeah, well, it is painful. It's a painful journey. But as you said, I mean, every step out of that bondage is a step into internal freedom and joy and peace and happiness and blessedness, you know. So it's an important vital journey yeah. for every Christian to take. Uh, I would say the best place to start is to start tearing down the facade, start mm. tearing down the image, quit, you know, make it a matter of determination and resolve. I am going to quit purposely putting up an image in front of other people. Mm. I'm going to handpick a number of people that are close to me, and I'm going to start opening up to them. Mm. I'm going to start sharing what's really going on inside, some of my struggles, some of my failures, some of the um, nasty kinds of things that I think and and attitudes and stuff. I'm going to open myself up. You don't have to open up to everyone, and <laughs> sure. it's not wise to do that. But it is important to open yourself up to people you can trust. Mm -hmm. And I would say that kind of thing would be a good first step out. And believe me, the Holy Spirit is highly motivated <laughs> to help in this process. Mm -hmm. And he will be in there um, doing things that we can't do on our own. But it's important that we do our part. And then he's going to be the one who really does the inward changes and uh, work inside of us that really brings us out. But, you know, he's going to work in the hearts of the willing, not the unwilling. Mm. So it's important that we do take steps like that to humble ourselves and to um, go against prideful feelings, attitudes, and motives. And... Yeah, I just know the Lord will um, be faithful to do the needed work inside. Amen. Thanks very much. Yeah, it was a real blessing. When James was 10, his mother was saved, and for the next few years, 
he gained a small foundation in the Lord. But when he moved in with his father, he soon forsook the spiritual grounding he had received. And for the next decade and a half, he lived for the pleasures of the world, becoming addicted and arrogantly proud. By God's grace, he moved in with a godly family in his 30s, and they saw his need and tried to help him get back on track. But living for self for all those years had taken the little bit of faith he had and turned it into a mountain of spiritual pride. And along with it, some daughters of pride, brawling and slander. I suppose after I came to Kentucky when I was about 31 and family took me in to grow a place where I could grow in the Lord with them. And and so that's when I was back in church and wanting to live for the Lord. So after a couple of years of that, this um, brawling and slander just manifested uh, and I unleashed on uh, the husband and verbally assaulted him with such hateful words, attacking first just his role as a father and as a husband even as a business owner, but worst of all, he he was pastoring at that time. And so I even attacked his role as a pastor and his wife was there standing next to him. And so I turned to her and just unleashed the same hateful, slanderous, uh, accusational remarks, even to the point where I laid hands on her and pushed her to the ground and just continued just slandering, just a verbal assault. And so those are the two instances that I most remember as far as slander and the brawling. So the time that I was with this family, the two years prior to this outburst of brawling and slander, um, I was regularly involved in ministry. And the more people asked me to be involved in other things, I had a sense of that I must be a very spiritual person. But there was no uh, true repentance that had happened. There was no inward change that happened. So... It was just a, uh, a real example of the hypocrisy that I was in. Living outwardly, what people saw was um, a good Christian individual, but inwardly uh, there was just constantly um, a desire for the sin of the world, a brewing hatred in my heart, a contempt for people all around me, but more and more specifically this family because I lived with them and... I suppose I saw their faults and instead of praying mercy for them or loving them the way they loved me, I just criticized and contempt grew and one day it just all came out. James talked about how there was no real change in his heart and that hypocrisy fueled the spiritual pride, brawling and slander that surrounded him. But these were just the fruit at the surface and as we've been discussing in this series, James can now testify that there was a much more insidious root behind all of this. It certainly can be summed up as a love of self. 
I just wanted to have my own way. I wanted everything to go my way. And so uh, when it didn't, um, it just fostered uh, more hatred and bitterness, resentments. Uh, I had a critical heart. Criticism and judgments and accusations not necessarily voiced to people around me because uh, that would affect my image as a good Christian man, but it was all inside my heart. I think I just thought that I was something more than I was. James did come to Pure Life, and the Lord showed him the reality of his spiritual condition. But God also did a wonderful work in his heart. James looked at Jesus and truly repented. And this began to play out in his willingness to obey the commands of Jesus. I had thought that the Lord had moments of setting me free from it. Uh, over the 18 years that I was with this family and active in church for most of that, but when I came to the residential program is when I really saw how much spiritual pride that I had. The Lord began to set me free in ways that I didn't know were possible, but in doing them, it really is there's some freedom. And what is the primary thing that I found is the simply, simply by praying mercy for others. It really is hard to do when you're such a self-absorbed person. But I had done it, and I had learned to practice it to some degree where there was real victory that the Lord gave me. And simply by praying mercy for others, um, it's what we were taught in the residential program. And the conscious, deliberate act of asking God to uh, bless another person, specifically the person that offended me or crossed my will, to bless them and provide for their needs, to pour your spirit out on him. This kind of praying for another person really has the capacity to set a person free. I remember when I was in the program, I was working with this one young man. Uh, he was probably 25 years my junior. He was maybe 22 years old and um, just graded on me. <laughs> he was uh, hard-headed himself like I was, and he wouldn't listen. And I, I really began to, frankly, just hate this young man. And it showed in our work, and, but I could feel the hatred growing in me and dislike of him. The more I knew uh, and felt the Lord drawing me to um, pray mercy for him and even uh, confront him, uh, with my sinful heart and ask him for forgiveness. And I did that, and he received it and in turn asked me to forgive him for his own rebellious uh, ways. And, and so we had a real reconciling that the Lord certainly did. And so from that day on, we really became, it was a joy to work with one another. Spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. I'm just reminded once again that those words should never go together. 
because the Spirit of God is deeply offended by pride. Everything in his humble nature is repulsed by it. This ought to inspire us to determine to become well acquainted with the path of humility. I wonder how many fallen saints would testify to the danger and subtlety of spiritual pride. I wonder if they would tell us about how pride quietly gave birth to criticism, then to judgment, and despising others. And I wonder how many tears would be shed as they recounted the multitude of opportunities they had to put their pride to death, but chose instead to preserve their image. I wonder how many were aware of their own sinful heart attitudes, but they couldn't bear the thought of someone else knowing what was going on inside. The anger, the lust, the covetousness. It can be very pleasing to realize that others see us as kind, pure, generous, loving, even humble. But you can be sure that spiritual pride without repentance will leave you feeling miserable, defeated, and will possibly lead to full-blown apostasy. The Spirit will strive with us for a time, but at some point, the Lord begins to bring severer measures of discipline. At some point, what is not willingly exposed will be thrust into the light, often at a great cost. You may not be in such a sad spiritual condition, but be alert. Your enemy, the devil, still stalks around like a roaring lion, seeking to weaken the saints with spiritual pride until they're ready to be devoured. None of us are strong enough to stand on our own, and when we think we are, we ought to take heed lest we fall. So I hope as you've been listening to these many forms of pride over the last four weeks that you'll find someone to talk with about it today. Find someone to really open up to in genuine confession of your sin and of your need. I've found that as I share with others how the Lord has been convicting me, exposing my need of deeper repentance, pride begins to lose its hold and humility begins to bloom. And what a reward! God himself is attracted to humility. Now, as I promised in last week's show, I want to end today by playing the trailer for our annual conference coming up in April. The theme? Babel. The tower is nearly complete. In the generations following the cataclysmic global flood, one great question faced mankind. Who will submit to the God of heaven? One man, Nimrod, answered that question with a defiant, I will not. Driven by ambition and given over to the spirit of lawlessness, he used his might and influence to construct the world's first city, Babylon. It was here, under the shadow of the Tower of Babel that mankind first formed an alliance against God's rule in their lives. Thousands of years after Nimrod began defiantly building the tower, the lawless spirit of Babylon has been given unprecedented latitude to seduce mankind. Throw off the shackles of God's authority and drink in the pleasures of sex, money, knowledge, and power. Indulge yourselves. Today's global culture has embraced a deeper bond with this ancient spirit than ever before. 
But what has been the fruit of this unholy union? Violence, confusion, and corruption have been unleashed. Perversion, addiction, and despair are more pervasive than ever. The tower that Satan began building through Nimrod, the symbol of man's rebellion to God, is nearly complete. Where is the man or woman who will resist the current trend of rebellion? Where is the man or woman who will wholeheartedly submit to God? You can find out more information about our conference by visiting conference.purelifeministries.org. There you can register for it as well as for our pre-conference for married couples. You can also look up travel information and much more. In light of our upcoming conference, we'll be taking a break from this series, Exposing the Root of All Sin, to share with you a message by Pastor Steve from one of our previous conferences. Thanks for joining us today on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.